Morning, glad to have you here with us this morning. We're starting a new series today called Him. Well, the new world that comes into being when Jesus enters into someone's life. But just as we begin this morning, there's two things I want to comment on. Firstly, great to have the youth band um, contributing towards our gathering. So keep up that great work. It's great that you are creating a worship space for us as well. Second thing is that this week, uh, Steve, Yvonne and I, uh, we had a Zoom meeting with other senior leaders in the area of churches around about. And of course, we were talking about the process of regathering or re-emerging. And with the new restrictions or the retraction of some of the easing of the restrictions that have just been announced last night, we're anticipating that it's going to be quite some months before we're back together again in larger spheres. So that gives us an opportunity, we believe, for some creativity. So we're imagining or reimagining some clusters that may eventually emerge where we actually don't just focus in on ourselves, but maybe we meet in different venues where we invite other people into that space as well and try and cultivate a sense of wider community within our community, but also as we gather and meet together as a church. So more information to come, but it seems as though together we're going to have to just work through this time and be as tactile as we can. Well, today's topic, him and a new identity. Some years ago, my wife and I were coming back from our study over in the United States. We're on an aeroplane that was traveling from London all the way through to Fort Worth, Texas. Um, my wife and I had finished off, so Bron and I had finished off study in the United States, and we decided we we're going to do a grand trip. A trip from the US, we were going to go to England, from England over to Israel, Israel, back again and all the way home. And as we booked everything in the United States, we realized that uh, we had enough uh, frequent flyer points that could actually transition us from the final leg home. That was the leg from, if we got from London to the US and LA airport, we could fly all the way home on Qantas. So we went ahead and booked all those tickets, everything was arranged and we went on our trip. Well, we're flying on an aeroplane uh, between London. We're about to start to, to land and descend into Fort Worth, Texas. And we heard over the intercom that this plane that we're on was going to actually transition from being an international flight to a domestic flight and that we're going to have to transfer or pass through customs. Well, an alarm bell went off in my mind because I realized that we didn't seem to have all of the paperwork. I thought we were going to be in transit. That is, we're going to stay on the flight and go from uh, Fort Worth to LA and then board our flight with Qantas and return home. But we're going to have to pass through, we were told, through customs. So I remember walking through the line and waiting and there was a very large man with a federal uniform on and he looked at our pass. And then he looked at us and he said these words. He said, you don't have a valid visa, so we're going to isolate you. We are going to interrogate you and we might incarcerate you. So it was in that moment, we were pretty tired by this stage. So I actually sort of something rose up from within me and I said, no. I said, this is not our doing. See, when we're in the United States through our travel agent, we booked everything and we thought we were going to just be in transit, passing on our way through in between spaces. We didn't realize we were going to pass through customs. And so he was taken a little bit back, I guess, by my boldness. And so he said, okay then, well, we're going to have to isolate you and put you upstairs and there's no amenities and there's no cafeteria, but there is a vending machine. Now, let's pause for a moment. If you had to choose between the first option and the second option, 
Which one would you choose? We chose the second. And in that moment, he stamped our passports with these words, T or these letters, T-W-O-V, transit without a visa. And if you like, that meant that we were in no man's land. They knew who we were, but our status was in question. We were in transit, if you like, but we were also in limbo, in between spaces, in between where we wanted to go and where we'd come from. And they were trying to figure out whose we were. The years AD 55, 56, Paul, a follower of Jesus, who's had his life radically turned around because he's met this risen Jesus, he's revealed himself to him. Paul had been going around the empire trying to capture followers of Jesus and he killed them. But he'd had a radical encounter with Jesus and transformed his life. So now he was walking around and moving around the empire declaring that there is a new king. That God's kingdom has broken into this world. In fact, it had broken into his own life, his heart and mind. And he was declaring that, that there was a new king and he's not Caesar. And so Paul, because of those treasonous words, he's actually been placed in jail. He himself is incarcerated and he's writing to other would-be followers of Jesus in around the city of Ephesus, that is in modern-day Turkey today. And he's wanting to remind them of who they are. If you like, when someone has become a follower of Jesus, they're stamped in their passport, their identity, T-W-O-V. That is, they're in transit. They've got a different kind of visa. They're in between spaces. They're in between the, the present world and the age that we live in now and the future age of God's kingdom when he will come and fill this earth with his glory and his power and his beauty and his justice, just like the waters cover the sea. And Paul's wanting to remind them in the places where they are of who they are and to ground themselves really deeply in that reality because he understands all the pressures and the pulls and the challenges that they're facing in their lives. And so in verse 3, it picks up in the book of Ephesians. Paul writes this, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with him. Paul wants these followers of Jesus, who have radically experienced and encountered the love of God in their own lives, he wants them to know that they have every spiritual blessing that is directed to them from God's heavenly realm. If you like, he wants them to stand firm and know that from God's dimension, in their in-between space, in their transit without a visa, as they're waiting for the new age to come and living in the present age, he wants them to know who they are. I was reading a book uh, some months ago by Susan Eastman. It was called Paul and the Person. In it, she suggests that this whole idea of who we are the idea of our Western construct that human beings are just isolated, autonomous selves, she says, is a furphy. In fact, the, the, this idea that there's no person is an island, but rather that we are an embodied persons and embedded within our culture and our societies in a matrix and a web of relationships. Drawing upon all the latest neuroscience and philosophy and theology, she suggests that who we are is always defined in relationship to others. In fact, this is what the ancient world, she suggests, was more marked by. So this question of who you are 
is not so much looking outwardly in what people think of you or inwardly, but it's always in relationship or answered most profoundly by the second question of whose you are. Paul wants the followers of Jesus, he knows he's writing to, to truly believe from the innermost selves that when they placed their trust in Jesus, they formed and were shaped into a new identity. That who they are truly is their relationship, is marked by their relationship to Jesus and with Jesus. In fact, he uses this phrase, in Christ. That is what has become true of Jesus Christ is now true, utterly true for them. And he wants them to know that every spiritual blessing that God can give you has been given to you from his realm and he wants you to stand firm in that. And if you want to answer the question of who are you, he would press a bit deeper. And at least in Susan Eastman's book, she says you need to answer the question more profoundly, more deeply, more fundamentally to know whose you are. That is, who are now you in relationship to and with? Well, there's four things that Paul says. He presses in and he says this in verse 4. Even before he made the world, that is, even before God made the world, God loved us and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Paul writes to them, if you like, he takes pen to papyri and he's writing down the first thing he wants to impress upon them is that God chose you. He says, you might not fully understand this, but the moment you said yes to Jesus and you welcomed him into your life, he wanted you to know that actually God had already chosen you from before the beginning of time. Now, if that doesn't mess with your heads, I don't know what does. He says that when you said yes to Jesus and you were reaching out to him, in fact, God had already reached out to you and called you his own. He chose you before the beginning of time. So there we were. We had been flown in a domestic flight from Fort Worth, Texas, all the way through to L.A. And we were waiting in L.A. to decide who would pay the penalty or the fine who would own us, if you like, so then we could get on our final leg home on the Qantas flight and return. You see, they were trying to work out whose fault it was for allowing us to be there in the first place. Was it the airline that flew us in? Uh, was it Qantas that we had a ticket for if they would own us and pay the price so that we could actually, actually be flown home? Or was it actually now the customs fault because they let us in in the first place? If you like, there was this wrangle between all of them as to whose we were. And we had been assigned two rather small Hispanic ladies in federal outfits to look after us to make sure that we didn't escape. Now, there were times when Bron and I looked at each other and they were so tiny, I thought to myself, you know, we could just tie them up and do a run. But where would we run to? So we waited. <laughs> and we waited and we waited. And we thought in the waiting that might turn from hours to literally to days before they would decide whose we were. Well, Paul wants to impress upon the people that that is profoundly not the case of what happened when God chose you, when you place your confidence and your trust in Jesus. There was no argument between the Godhead about ownership and status and, and who was doing what. If you like, there was no conversation between the son to the father saying, hey, 
Hey, you sent me down to earth in the first place. Or the father of the son, he said, hey, you went there to try and reach out to those humans in the first place. And the father and the son didn't point at the spirit and say, hey, you're the one that was working in the lives of those human beings to actually incline them towards us in the first place. There was no wrangling in the Godhead. In fact, when someone placed their trust in Jesus, it's as though he said, God has chosen you before the beginning of time. And he didn't just choose you so you could just twiddle your thumbs or, if you like, sit up in isolation with the vending machine. No, he chose you for a reason. He chose you so that you would reflect him and his goodness and his mercy and his justice back into this world. If you like, he wants you to use your hands and your feet and your voice and your mind to do his bidding, whether it be at school, at home, or in the workplace, on the sporting field, wherever you are, that you might be a change agent for God. So in the past number of weeks, we have been listening and watching, and some of us participating in the Black Lives Matter rallies and movement that's been uh, disseminating from the States and transitioning around the world. See, the goodness of, of that movement, if you like, or some aspects of that which are profoundly connected to being a Jesus follower is that it's standing up for injustices. Some of you would have been moved to have a voice. Some of you would be thinking, what can I do? You see, God hasn't put you here just so that you can wait for the new heavens and earth to come. He's put you here on earth to be a change agent. So for some of you, as you've watched that and deeply felt the burden of centuries of injustice towards black people, indigenous people within our culture, some of you have been stirred and wondered, what can I do at a local level? Some of you otherwise would have been stirred by God to say, what can I do at a state level? Some of you, I bet, have been challenged to say, God, what does it mean for, for me to respond to the great injustices and try and bring healing in a land at a national level? Well, some of you might be called to actually not just give yourselves to this particular cause, but for work for injustices and the rectifying of those over the course of a whole lifetime. Whatever it is that God stirs in you, you are here to have a voice and to make a difference and to bring his kingdom in a strong and a firm and a good and a profoundly influential manner. I remember a friend who was working in a workplace that was kind of one of those places that would be hard to find these days, but sadly they're still also true. He said in this place it was very blokey. They used to talk condescendingly about women. In fact, when you walked into this workspace, there was pictures of, of women plastered all over the walls. He said at lunchtime, they would put on videos. And he said, I would watch men start to watch these videos of, of women that were very condescending and that were very objectifying. And he said, as a follower of Jesus, I was stirred up to go, what do I do? Who do I need to be? What is God calling me to do in this moment? So he said, what I decided to do was when we had our lunch and they put on their videos... I would go and sit beside, in fact, in front of uh, some of these men who I knew were family men. He said, I would sit there across the table, and whilst they were staring past me at the TV screen, I would start to engage them and talk to them about their children, about the relationship with their wives. He said the incongruity of that kind of conversation with what they were watching was such that they would sometimes get up and just move away or turn it off and alter their, if you like, their lunchtime habits. 
He said, I knew I was having a difference after some months when one of the old workmen came back. He came into the room and he looked around. He said, I would stay afterwards and I would pull down all the pictures of the, uh, of the women that they'd plastered up all over the walls. He said, this man came back and he looked around the room and he saw and he smelt and he felt what was going on and he just declared, something's different. Something's changed here in this workplace. I don't know what it is. And he thought to himself, I know exactly what it is. It's God's effort and impact and work, working through me to transform the environments that I'm in. You see, God didn't choose you from the beginning of time so you could twiddle your thumbs. He chose you so you would reflect him into the world. I wonder what God is challenging in you today for you to be a change agent in. Why did he choose you? Because you were extra special, because you were the pick of the bunch, because you were better than anyone else? No, he chose you because he loved you. In love, he chose us. We've been running the offer course over the past number of weeks. And as I've heard the simple message of Jesus again being directed and being articulated and being expressed, I've heard and seen people who have not heard the basic message of God's goodness and his love for all creation. Um, I've seen it as people have heard this simple and profound message just again resonate in them and through them. And it strikes me every time that this profound message of there is a creator and there's a God who knows you and loves you and he wants to be in relationship to you and with you. He wants to transform your life so that you would be a transforming agent in this world. God loves you. It's so refreshing to hear the simple power of that statement. God doesn't choose people for no reason. He wants to rework them and renew them. And he does it because he loves you. Do you know the love of God? Paul presses on and he writes this. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. Paul wants to impress upon them that not only did God choose you before the beginning of time, but he adopts you into his family the moment you say yes to him. This word adoption is quite the word and quite the action in the early beginnings of the empire because the Caesars began to look across their own progeny and wonder who would take over the empire. In fact, they would often select outside of their own kids and adopt someone else into to be their successor. This has happened with Julius Caesar when he adopted Augustus into his family. If you like, he looked at all of his own progeny, his own sons, and realized he didn't feel that they were good enough for the task. So on his deathbed, it said that Julius Caesar adopted Augustus, and he was the successor. He had all the rights and privileges of being a family member because he was adopted into the family of the Caesars. Before my granddad died... He sat my father down and said, now I want to tell you about the rest of the family. My dad said, what? What do you mean? What other family? And then he proceeded to describe all these different stepbrothers and sisters that he'd had. You see, as the story unfolded, we realized that my grandfather had been passed around between mother and anonymous father at that time, passed between and around in the family Wondering who would look after him, who would take care of him, who would own him, who would want him. But for the, the love of two aunties, he just would have been continually passed around. 
Well, it got to a stage in my granddad's life where he just drew a line in the sand and he said, enough is enough. I want to start afresh. I want to have a new family that begins and starts with me and I am the recipient of that decision to start afresh and I'm ever grateful for it. But you see, when someone is like says yes to Jesus and God chooses them from the before the beginning of time, Paul wants them to know that not only have they been chosen, but they are adopted into God's family with all the rights and privileges that come with it. Who you are, if you like, on the basis of your adoption is not on the basis of your birthright or your bloodlines or your skin color or ethnicity or gender. If you like, it's when someone places their faith and their confidence in Jesus, it's on the basis of that that you are welcomed into God's family. You're like, Jesus has done it all. The moment someone says yes to Jesus... He says he welcomes them in as though they've never left. He runs to them and he places a ring on their finger, sandals on their feet, a robe around them. He kills the fatted calf and he has a great celebration because what was lost to him has been found. You are welcomed into God's family. You are given all the rights and the privileges of adoption and status with God. Who you are? Well... It's more defined by whose you are. You see, when someone comes to know Jesus, he welcomes into his family. He adopts them as their daughter, as his daughter and his son. And all the other designations around about us that would determine who we are in this worldly sense are subordinated to this one idea that who you are now is inextricably tied up with your relationship to Jesus, with Jesus, because now you are in Jesus. Paul goes on and writes in a different place. He says, no matter if you come from a Jewish or a non-Jewish background, whether you're female or male, slave or free, all those other designations, all those other markers are subordinate to your new identity that you have in him. Who you are is whose you are. Why? Why would God bother with this? He says it's because it gave him great pleasure. Do you know that you are God's good pleasure? Paul goes on and he writes this. God is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. When Paul's writing these words, he's, as a Jewish person, he's thinking about that great Exodus narrative. When the Israelites were living down in Egypt and they'd been oppressed under the powers of Egypt and under the rule and the might of Pharaoh, he had turned them into slaves and he had subjected them for many years into this hardship, into, into, this, into this enslavement, into this captivity. And it's in that place that it says that the Israelites called out to God and God heard their plea. And so he sent Moses to them. He sent Moses to Pharaoh to say, let my people go. And, and Pharaoh and the powers of Egypt refused and refused and refused and refused. So God said, okay, what I want you to do, my people, is I want you to take an animal. I want you to slaughter it. I want you to put the blood on your doorpost because I'm going to come and I'm going to send my angel. My angel of death is going to pass over Egypt. And if, if the Egyptians will not let my firstborn go, then their firstborn will be taken. 
And so in that cataclysmic evening, that night when the Israelites, then they took the blood of, a, of an animal and they put it on their doorposts. It marked and designated them as being God, part of God's possession in his family because there is power in the blood. And Paul is recalling that moment when the Israelites were set free, when finally the Egyptians said, go, be gone, and the tyranny and the power of Egypt had been broken over their lives. And Paul says, I want you to know that the moment you say yes to Jesus, he's already dealt with the powers of sin and death that have actually distorted and darkened our hearts, every single human being. And God has broken that power and he has set you free. I remember a lady talking about the good news of Jesus to some men who were sitting in a pub in a bar up in Sydney. As she was describing to them the love of Jesus and his forgiveness and his death and resurrection and his sacrifice on that cross for them. One of the men stood up and he held his hands in front of her and he said, You do not understand what these hands have done. How could God possibly forgive me after what these hands have done? It says that the woman I heard, she said, I walked over just impromptu by God's spirit. I walked over to the man and I took his hands and I just kissed them. She said, this is what I believe God through his son Jesus has already done for you. If you would receive it. The profound good news of, of Jesus is that no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you have done or has been done to you whether you feel dirty on the inside or dirty because things you have done, when you reach out to him, he will reach into you and do what he's already done on the cross. He has forgiven, he has washed clean, and he said there is no condemnation. You are welcome. Do you know that freedom that only God can give? Finally, Paul says this, and when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. When someone says yes to Jesus and Jesus enters into their life, not only does he defeat the old power that's over you and in you, but he puts a new power, the Holy Spirit, into you. For those of you who are car lovers, he drops a new engine under your bonnet and the engine happens to be electric because it's charged with the very power of heaven and it transforms a person from the inside out. I remember encountering God's love that felt like a liquid love flowing through me that was transforming my heart and mind. I was a follower of Jesus, but I hadn't really encountered the love, the profound transformative love from the inside out. And when that came and I experienced that in my life, it changed my thinking. It changed my heart, emboldened it even more towards God. And that's my prayer for you today is that you might encounter the Spirit in fresh ways, exactly where you are, where you're sitting here today, where you're meeting with us this morning. And so Paul says, what I want you to understand is that the moment that you said yes to Jesus, he sent God's Spirit into you and he sealed you. He marked you with his own presence, his Spirit. You see, the image that Paul has here is of someone who's writing a letter and there's those old wax seals. The seals that are insignied and pressed into to mark this letter as being unopened. It designates the identity of the person who's sending it so you know who it's come from. He says, when, that, when you say yes to Jesus, it's as though he sends this spirit into you to mark you out as his own possession. And that's true for you. I love the story in Toy Story 
when Woody has been captured and they're in transit themselves, if they're like, they're, they're going to be shipped off down to Japan, I think, and they've been kidnapped and Woody, for the first time, is being told by the prospector and Jesse who he is. Well, this is freaking Woody out and they show him a video and it's the Woody's roundup and he is so taken back by this, he can't remember it. He doesn't identify with it. That's something long gone in the past. And then Jesse pipes up because the prospector has said, Woody, I think you've forgotten who you are. And Jesse says, I wonder if he's still owned. I wonder if he's still marked. And Woody picks up his feet and he sees that the words, the, the word Andy has been inscribed into the sole of his foot. Why? It's because Andy, his owner, his master, the one who loves him, who's present to him, has actually gone and inscribed on Woody's foot a designation of who he is. So if he ever got lost, he'd know who his owner is, who his friend is, who his kinship belongs to. And when someone comes to know Jesus and then places their trust in him, Paul says that he marks you out of his spirit. It's as though he reaches down into your life and he puts his marking on you that says, loved by God, you are my possession. That's the power and the good news of Jesus. Do you know who you are? You see... Who you are is whose you are. As we bring our time to a close this morning, I wonder if you know the grounding power of knowing who you are because you have been chosen, you have been adopted, you have been set free, and you have been sealed by the Spirit of God so that one day when he returns and brings his heaven to earth, you will know that he is your inheritance because he inherits you. Do you know who you are? You see, one of the great challenges we have in our culture today is that we're often being directed to look elsewhere for our identity. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been looking in all the wrong places to figure out who you are. You've been passed from person to person. Maybe you've fallen in relationship to relationship, man to woman, being passed on. Maybe you've fallen into the arms of, of, of a number of different relationships in your life. You've been looking for love from all the wrong places. And it doesn't fill the hole that's within you. It's because only God can do that. I wonder if you're here this morning and you map your self-worth on the basis of how many Insta friends you have or how many likes you get on your Facebook. The only problem with that is that you're always in the power of someone else trying to mark out and tell you who you are. And so it rises on falls on other people's view of who you are and who they perceive you to be. The problem with that is that you're always in the power of someone else. Maybe you're here this morning and the new designation that's going around is that who you really are is how you feel on the inside. Uh, it's what you think about yourself on the inside. No one else can tell you who you are but only you. But the only problem with that, I find, is that my emotions change every day. I mean, I wake up some morning and if I listen to what my head says, well, I'll be on a roller coaster for the rest of my life. You want to know who you are? Paul says... 
Don't look out. Don't look in. Look up. Because who you are is whose you are. I wonder if the Spirit of God is speaking to you this morning. And there needs to be a radical break. There needs to be a radical shift. There needs to be a radical designation. And a reorientation of who you truly are fixed around the person of Jesus. Because it's all about him. What we're going to discover in the coming weeks is that it is all about him from beginning to end From the top to the bottom, to the left, to the right, it is all about Him and what He has done for us. So I'm going to finish this time now with a prayer. Because Paul writes this and he says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope that He has given to those He has called, His holy people who are His rich and glorious inheritance. Paul writes this because he understands that when he just says it, it's not enough. That to actually believe these things and to have them firmly gripped and grounded within your soul and within your being and within your sense of identity doesn't just come by saying it. Becomes when there's a transforming power through prayer that it actually brings it alive in your heart and mind so that your heart might be illuminated so that you might know from the very depth of your being who you are in God's eyes. So that might transform the very nature of how you use your body and how you think to do his bidding. So I'm going to pray right now that this prayer of Paul's might be true for you. That you might encounter God afresh. He might ground you. And then we're going to listen to a song. And as you do, I might ask you to just open up your hands and your heart. Open up your mind and that you might receive from Jesus this morning. That you might speak to him. And the Holy Spirit might pour through his powerful love, transforming nature into your life afresh. So that you will know that you have been chosen. So that you know that you have been adopted. So that you know that you have been set free. So that you know in the depth of your being that he has marked you out and called you by name. For he's inscribed his love and his life and his very presence into your very being. I wonder if you join with me. Father God, here in this place right now, wherever anyone is listening from. I ask that you might meet with them powerfully this morning. I pray that you might open up the hearts and the minds of every single person who's listening here and that you might reveal to them the very nature of who you are. And for those who have said yes to you, that you can impress upon them who you have made them to be, that who they are is whose they are, that they are dearly beloved and held tightly by you and that you will inherit them and they will inherit you because of what your son has done on the cross. I pray this, Father. I pray for all those who are bound up in addictions this morning, that you might set them free by the power of your Spirit. I pray, Father, that as they come to the realization that who they are has been determined by what other people think, I pray that you may break those ties and that you might shift their eyes from being outward looking to upward looking to you. Father, for those who have heard this morning the love of God, but it just falls through them because they've been passed around from person to person or maybe in their childhood that they've been passed around in a loveless place, I pray this morning that they might know that the love of a heavenly Father poured into their lives. Father, I pray for healing over them right now. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you might do your work that only you can do. 
And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.